Welcome to the Evidence to Impact podcast, the podcast that brings together academic researchers, government partners, and others outside of academia to talk about research insights and real-world policy solutions in Pennsylvania and beyond. I'm Michael Donovan, the Director of Policy and Outreach at Penn State's Administrative Data Accelerator. In this episode, I'll be talking with Mr. David Saunders and Dr. Alexis Santos. Mr. Saunders serves as the Director of the Office of Health Equity within the Pennsylvania Department of Health and joins us from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Dr. Santos is Assistant Professor of Human Development and Family Studies here at University Park and researches social disparities in stress, health, and mortality. Dr. Santos is also a Demography Data Fellow with the Penn State Administrative Data Accelerator. First off, thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So I just wanted to kind of start this off kind of discussing in broad strokes what uh, some of the work that we've done, collaboration with the uh, Data Accelerator and, and the Office of Health Equity, um, in particular, Alexis, some of your, your work um, identifying uh, the associations between higher poverty levels and lower life expectancy in Pennsylvania. Sure. Uh, so we got a petition from uh, Mr. Saunders asking us to uh, look at potentially replicating an analysis that was published in a, in a prestigious journal, but specifically for the case of Pennsylvania. So what we did was access the data for Pennsylvania uh, through the United States Census Bureau, the Institute of Health Metrics, and we were able to reproduce that analysis. And our findings were quite interesting, and, and I know we'll go into detail later on, but you know, it's, it's looking at what are the correlates or the associations between socioeconomic characteristics of the counties of Pennsylvania and life expectancy which can potentially help us uh, address disparities uh, across the state uh, from a policy perspective. That's great. And one thing, um, David, we really want to, you know, look at this through the lens of how uh, many social determinants of health uh, adversely affect vulnerable communities. So can you just give us a little bit on, on what your office does and your mission and, and how this uh, intersects with some of Alex's good work here? I, I definitely can. Um, our office focuses in on vulnerable communities throughout the state, not just racial and ethnic minorities, but those that are, uh, in many cases, disenfranchised, impoverished, uh, rural communities, as well as urban communities. And we collaborate across the board with other state agencies, uh, county groups to advocate or educate, I should say, mostly uh, look at ways to uh, collaborate along uh, policy lines, along systems, uh, any way that we can possibly do uh, to make the citizens of Pennsylvania the most healthy as they possibly can be. Great. And as we uh, have identified uh, through, through Alexis's work, you really looked at several variables of socioeconomic perspective, right? Yeah, so f from a social determinants of health perspective, you would politicize or you would think that there's a certain number of characteristics that put people or groups at different odds or probability of having higher or lower life expectancy. And for example, some of those are characteristics that are things we acquire, like education level, and we have Certainly there's barriers to achieving or attaining a higher level of education. And of course, we know that education and higher levels of education places you in a better position to have a better income. 
down the road. So this, this perspective, what allows us to do is frame or start looking at the variables that we can start studying correlations across the state. And again, some of these groups that Mr. Saunders mentions are groups that have not only one of these characteristics, but they may share areas of them. So for example, Lowell, lower education attainment may, uh, has been associated with higher poverty rates in, the, in areas across the nation and around the world. So th what this analysis allowed us to do was to do a sort of a scratch the surface of the problem by looking at associations at the county level of these various characteristics, like for example, household income, uh, persons who have a health insurance, and we know that income is a strong determinant of having a health insurance in the United States, whether or not the person is employed or not, whether or not there's a high concentration of poverty at the county. So framing this analysis from the social determinants of health allowed me to identify which variables could have a potential link with life expectancy differences in the, in the state, and that's how I approached the problem so that we could produce this report. That's fascinating, especially because it's really applying um, a rigorous analytical framework to, um, as we said earlier, to what has been a national model in the past and has not really looked at um, individual states and, and what, what Pennsylvania in particular, uh, what, what story the data tells uh, here. So we found that for the state of Pennsylvania, we had a high life expectancy in counties such as Center County, Union County, Chester County, Pike County, and Montgomery County, which, had, uh, which were counties that were identified as having more than 80 years as life expectancy at birth. Yes, so I think what was uh, concerning to us was also that we saw differences in life expectancy, oftentimes a gap of as big as six years. And some of these counties include Philadelphia County, Forest County, Fayette County, Sullivan County, and Schuylkill County. It's a tough one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I don't know if, if David have any perspectives on this last five that I've mentioned, but, you know, from my perspective, we know what is Philadelphia County, but what about the others? Well, you know, you know what's interesting, even a couple of the municipalities that you mentioned, like, uh, not municipalities, the county that you mentioned, uh, like Montgomery County, one thing we need to be mindful of even those counties, in some cases, that have a high life expectancy, they're doing well from an overall health outcome standpoint. They may have municipalities within them that are not doing so well. So like a Montgomery County has a Norristown, those, those pockets of, in many cases, uh, racial and ethnic minorities that tend to not fare as well as the overall county. So I did want to pull that out. You mentioned um, those counties like a Philadelphia, like a Fayette, like a Schuylkill County, you know, those, those rural counties like Fayette and Schuylkill counties. Um, in many cases, of course, the industries that really supported individuals in those counties are not as present, not as prevalent as they used to be. Fayette is pretty far away from the center of the state. In many cases, those rural counties are not doing well. Then you come back to a Philadelphia, very much so it's, it's, it's a tale of, of, of two portions of the county, of two portions of the city. You have a center city, Philadelphia, 
that in many cases have a higher income level. You go outside of Center City, Philadelphia, into North and, and West Philadelphia, where there's a lower income level, and those are the areas of Philadelphia County that have a lower life expectancy, poorer health outcomes. And it could be the difference between, you know, uh, living to 78 years of age or 68. I mean, it's that vast of a difference within, you know, two to five miles away. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a stark difference depending upon where you live in, in the state of Pennsylvania, the same way across the country, those, those, those pockets of impoverished um, individuals, those are the areas where they're faring the worst from a uh, health outcome standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, particularly if you were thinking about this as a social determinants of health, it may be possible that this, you know, this counties that I mentioned with low life expectancy, it may be that the social enclaves uh, or the characteristics of the populations themselves are quite different. So, for example, Philadelphia County may have a diverse population, but it may be dealing with you know, homelessness. Or, yeah. And some other counties may be dealing with the shortage of access to care. I was wondering what, you know, as you work throughout the state, are there particular uh, tools in your toolbox uh, that you try to lift up to to support vulnerable communities across the gamut in particular? Um, Oh yeah, we have um, several. One is something that we call Public Health 3.0, and that's at the county level. We try and bring around the same table those representatives that either uh, you know either from education or from housing, government, and health, and we want to break down those silos. We develop um, health coalitions at the county level if you will, and we make sure that they're, uh, we work with them to ensure they're focusing in on, you know, those you know, priorities like obesity and tobacco and substance abuse and diabetes management, as well as oral health. And we provide technical assistance, access, funding uh, where possible, and we connect them to a variety of different you know, agencies and organizations that could support their effort. We also have something called the Pennsylvania Interagency Health Equity Team. We're the first and actually only state in the entire country that has a team uh, made up of state agencies uh, meeting on a regular basis, uh, looking at policies, looking at systems, uh, looking at environmental changes. Um, that affect those social determinants of health across the board. So we have, for instance, transportation, the departments of transportation, education, and economic development and aging all around the table, trying to get the resources um, to the, the counties and to those municipalities across the state so they could address their own local needs. So we have the the top level agencies, you know, state level, getting down to that more county and community level, uh, we're trying to trying to connect the two. So that's just two of our programs, if you will. That's great, and I, you know, I, I I've been a, a part of the uh, the PIHET meetings as they're as they're known, or PHET sometimes, the 
Pennsylvania interagency health equity team. Uh, David has, has graciously invited Penn State around the table, and uh, it really is a remarkable uh, collection of kind of an innovative uh, technique throughout the, the states, um, modeled after the, the federal uh, system. And I think it's been really powerful in connecting people. I think David's comment is on point. Maybe we need to start looking at more smaller units, and mm -hmm. this may be something that we can do through the accelerator with, with the right. restricted data that we have. You know, at the county level, what we found was a strong correlation between high poverty rate and low life expectancy, as we would expect from the social determinants of health model. We found that the median household income, which may actually be sort of a, another way of measuring how, how much, you know, how's your socioeconomic status, that also is correlated with uh, life expectancy. So if you had a higher income, you were, uh, the, the county was more likely or correlated with a higher level of life expectancy. And the last one in this income category mm -hmm. uh, variable that we found that was interesting was the median house value. So for, for owner-occupied houses, which it means that if, if houses of a higher value uh, at the county level were associated, the price was associated with a higher life expectancy, so these are three variables that are letting us study differences in life expectancy with different focus. One is individual income. The other one is household income, which mm -hmm. may be pulling resources together from the whole family. Mm -hmm. And the other one is just kind of a measure of wealth is the, the house that you own. And the three of them are giving us consistent patterns of the better off this number is, the better the life expectancy mm -hmm. of the county is. Mm -hmm. In areas like, uh, let's say, Harrisburg, um, you have lower, lower levels of individuals who own their home. If you own a home, you pay taxes on that home. The taxes that you pay on that home contribute to the school district, the local school district. If you don't have um, that tax base, your educational system is deprived. They're deprived of resources, computers, uh, warm facilities, or, or, or cool facilities in the in the in the, in the summer. Uh, books, uh, training for teachers, extracurricular activities. It's not a surprise that in areas that are impoverished, you you have lower high school, um, you know, education. There are, there are lower numbers of individuals that graduate from high school, lower numbers of individuals that graduate from high school in four years, which is a, which is a health equity measure. Um, it's no surprise that, let's say, in Center County, where the levels of education is, is higher, you know, there's a higher numbers of individuals who own homes. It's not a... Um, all these things are are connected. If if I have a higher income, no matter what the person's skin color is, if I have a higher income, I'm going to to have access to you know better grocery stores. In some areas of this state, there are food deserts where you you don't have access to you know a, a, a giant or or, or, or a white. In, in some cases, you're going to the dollar store. And at the dollar store, 
which there, there are more dollar stores than there are Walmarts and Targets combined. Um, they don't, they, they, they have a dearth of uh, perishable food. So you're not going to get fruits, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. In the rural community, you have a, a, a lack of medical facilities. Um, in many cases, emergency rooms are the first place that, that, that people go to um, when their sickness is at a, is at a level where they, where they have to go to the emergency room. It's a cycle that is both prevalent in the urban communities such as Philadelphia, as well as some of the outlying rural areas. And one of the things that I try to make sure that people uh, understand is while there are some racial and ethnic issues, discrimination, racism is, is, is clearly an issue in this state as well as as well as across the country. Um, there are rural populations made up of our white Americans that are dealing with some of those same issues as it relates to uh, these social determinants of health and and and, and lack of income and those areas need to be addressed um, just as much as the urban areas of the state yeah and, and it all come, and it all comes back to income yes. when, it, when it boils down to it, it all comes back to a lack of a lack of income and opportunity and and it's so you mentioned the, the spatial differences right the urban spaces versus rural so I you know we found that the highest percent of population, 65 years old, so counties that have a higher concentrations of older adults have lower life expectancy. And this, this may speak of a, uh, you know, kind of the, the rural component of Pennsylvania and the need for us to start addressing uh, also the necessities and the health necessities of those areas uh, as, as we move forward in the policy discussion. Yeah, I... I, I have to think, I mean, this, this all kind of leads us to the point where we all agree, right? <laughs> that these are all the spillover effects of a, of a system that all affects each other. And what I love to do is, is talk about, you know, some of the implications for this work going forward and, you know, how we can be supportive of, uh, of the, the mission of the Office of Health Equity and, and overall um, a government as well realizing that that it is a, a complicated and, and very stratified problem. Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in there. I, I think, um, you know, the work that Dr. Santos did is, is an example of, of what agencies like, like, like ours um, really would love to do, but don't necessarily have the time to do. We have, you know, epidemiologists, on staff, or in many cases, they're connected to federal grants and that type of thing. So they have to do specific things. But there are some times where we have a great need to look at one area or another that's not in a, you know, a long-term plan under a specific grant. Um, and the work that Dr. Santos did really gave us an opportunity to kind of look at a particular issue. And we use that information to help us develop a, you know, a financial health forum. Penn State is doing a lot of work around uh, the opioid epidemic, but there's uh, burgeoning issues really have been on the table for many years around infant mortality, maternal mortality. I know Penn State is helping us out kind of looking at telehealth. And really what I'm hopeful of 
you know, going forward to accelerate uh, the improvement of health is really to engage, you know, universities like Penn State and, and really, you know, looking forward, kind of looking backwards to a certain extent and in, in, in how did we get to this point, but, but really um, looking, looking forward, looking at the data that we currently have available to us, filling in gaps where, where we don't, where we don't have data and really accelerating, you know, processes to improve health, kind of looking, looking forward with, with the, with the resources that Penn State has available to them. You know, to me, we should really be looking based upon what we currently have in regards to data at, at what we should expect in five to 10 years, as opposed to, in 10 years reacting to what we could possibly be looking at today in the way of changing some policy systems and environment based upon the data that will tell us what's going to happen in 10 years. That's right. Yeah. And I, I really like your, your focus on data because you know, what really uh, made this work possible uh, was the availability of, of the data that Alexis was able to, you know, analyze uh, using these 14 variables to identify some of these correlations and that's one thing that uh, we are really uh, focusing on lifting up as much uh, as much and as many data sources as possible uh, to try to draw these inferences that are really trying to bridge the gap between um, an ac- academic discussion, which focuses on knowledge creation and moving forward the science, and bridging that gap into a policy discussion where we can try to uh, support and educate policymakers to uh, utilize an evidence base. And, and also to accentuate and sort of support what David said, academic research takes time to get out and get published if we send it out to an academic journal. So I think precisely the fact that the center is accelerating this analysis and making them available to policymaker on a timely manner, it's, it's potentially one of the greatest assets that we have here. And if we leverage collaborations with, with David's office, the Office of Health Equity, or with other you know, offices across the state, we will, you'll, they'll find that if we were to submit this to a peer-reviewed journal, they'll, they'll be getting an article in a year and a half. Yeah. And nowadays, academics are starting to, to look at more creative ways to disseminate the results in a timely manner. And you know, creating these policy briefs or reports that are easy and accessible for people to read it's, it's one way, and I, and I think that the important fact here is that this is a data analysis that is addressing social issues in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a problem from seven years ago. Right. We're talking about policy issues that are being addressed as we speak. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I, would, I would agree. I mean, we, um, I mean, we need this information yesterday. I mean, uh, there's just so much to be done and to have a credible, you know, academic institution like a Penn State that basically it's not David Saunders coming up with this information. It's a, it's a, it's a Penn State verifying this data. And I think one, one thing that I would say is that uh, one thing I appreciated when the position from David came was that he already had a roadmap for us. Mm-hmm. He said, listen, there's this analysis done at the national level. I want to know if this applies to Pennsylvania. So he provided us as much of a blueprint 
from what he wanted. And from there was really easy to get the data and perform the analysis and grow the, write the report. And, and, and one thing that I also, I wanted to talk just a little bit about um, just leveraging data in general is not necessarily a foregone conclusion in uh, many circles. That's one thing that we are trying our, our best to uh, lift up uh, that evidence-based policymaking uh, is is a route that provides for um, seasoned approaches that can improve efficiency both in government dollars but also in uh, effectiveness of programs. So um, I wonder if you guys, you know, if if David, you had any insights on uh, you know the climate in in government, you being on the front lines, uh, you know what what the data culture is. And, and hopefully if um, some perceptions of the future. Well, I mean, I, I hear it all the time that we don't have enough data, that the data that we have is, is not shared. Uh, the data that we have as different agencies are uh, not easily accessible and not in one place it drives or it should drive our decisions going forward. But we kind of, over the years, I mean, this is historical. We've always kept, you know, our data to ourselves. So, um, and even internally, sometimes it's not easy to find data. So I don't, I I believe that um, data will always be needed. People like myself, you don't have a lot of time to go, find it. You know, I deal with a couple of uh, different uh, folks within our FE department here that I count on to not only give me the data, but I need from time to time someone to kind of break that data down for me. Someone like a Dr. Santos who can say, okay, well, here's the data, but this is what the data means, as opposed to me trying to figure that out. So I see a need across the board with various agencies and even to get that information out from the agencies out to the public and at that local community level and getting that data from the community level up up to um, even the state agency level. Um, so to answer your question, I really believe that it's, it's um, a need that will continue to be present. Um, and um, the more coordination that we have around data, uh, the more dissemination, the better. Yeah, so I want to echo some of the things that David said, and, uh, and what I'll say regarding this discussion of using data, using administrative data, I have two broad points. One is that plural of anecdotes is not data. So we, we may hear that one or two or three persons say, I had this experience. And we need to see whether or not the data support those narratives. I mean, both pieces of data are important, but we need to reconcile what's, what's being told to us with the data that we have available uh, for analysis, because if those two don't match, something's happening. And this brings me to another point, which is the three fundamental pillars of being able to leverage administrative data uh, to help policy and decision-making. And one of them is uh, access to data. The second one is having reliable sources. And number three is having those results uh, available for people to use, right? And oftentimes what we find 
as a barrier to access to the data. And it may stem from a variety of reasons, like a government officer, not from Pennsylvania, but you know, any government officer may think that by sharing data, they may be evaluating him. And it, it and it's happened to me when I ask government officers for some data, they say, are you going to make me look bad? Right. And that's not the case. The case is we want to evaluate what's happening so we can better inform decision-making processes. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of David and I are on the same page on this. Uh, if we have data available and we can use it to inform decision-making and also to to inform ourselves of what's happening around us, mm-hmm. I think that's a gain right there. If it translates into policy, that's super gain. Mm-hmm. But just by starting to do these efforts, we're already yeah. doing something different and something meaningful. That's right. And that, and that really speaks to, um, you know, the, a, a culture of, um, of data in, in a lot of government spaces, I feel, that I think um, has been kind of a patchwork quilt of application and development. You know, some, some areas and uh, some levels of government, some agencies have been very uh, forward thinking in embracing a, a data culture, uh, one where uh, evaluation does not necessarily mean um, someone's in trouble. It means, uh, you know, maybe tightening efficiency and improving metrics is, is, a, is a powerful tool. Um, but I think that's a, a very good point, uh, Alexis. Thank you. Well, I just want to really thank both of you for uh, your time today. Uh, I think that this is really uh, an important intersection um, and, and great potential for, for future work um, and uh, hopefully a great model for future application in a very variety of other areas where really bringing in the, the academic uh, perspective and um, also their practitioner and government perspective and trying to bridge that gap as much as we can. Uh, so again, thank you uh, very much, Dr. Alexis Santos, uh, and also Mr. David Saunders from uh, Pennsylvania government. Really appreciate it. Again, I'm your host, Michael Donovan, the Director of Policy and Outreach at Penn State's Administrative Data Accelerator and the Associate Director at the Evidence to Impact Collaborative. And this has been another episode of the Evidence to Impact podcast. Thanks for listening.